Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, I thought I'd try to get in character a little bit with y'all today. Of course, it's a, it's a redneck mullet. That's about as good as I could do, and I'm, I've been kind of, you know, working out and trying to look the part. All right, I guess I've milked that about as far as it's going to go. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Samson. Samson's a, a interesting character, man of contrasts, uh, depicted as the strongest man in the Bible, and yet, in reality, he's he's really one of the weakest, at least in terms of controlling his passions. As you saw in the story, he's typically kind of depicted as kind of a comic book superhero, this massive body, muscles. I mean, he, he kind of reminds us of mythic heroes of, of old, like uh, Hercules or something like that. And yet, what's interesting is if you read through the passages where the story of Samson is told, it tells us nothing about his actual physical appearance except that he wore his hair in seven braids. That's the only descriptive information we have. There's nothing, in fact, to indicate that he was some kind of a, a Goliath, some massive man. Uh, or, or Otherwise, the Philistines would have obviously recognized the source of his strength. And so some scholars have even suggested that Samson may have even been just an ordinary-looking guy. And I'm not saying he was, but what I'm saying is Scripture doesn't tell us. So we really don't know. He was, though, a complex character, a, a tragic figure, uh, even though the Bible paints him as a hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The, this morning, we're going to dig into the story of Samson, uh, hitting really only the high points because it's, it's uh, in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 of, of Judges. So there's a fair amount of content there, too much for us to work through in the time we have. But we are going to look at some of the main points of that. And so you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open it to Judges chapter 13. That's where we're going to start. Uh, the version Bible apps available. And, and also in your bulletin were notes that have the Scriptures and references to the Scriptures there that you can use. The, just as a reference, the book of Judges comes after the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the... the uh, the Hebrews who have come out of the wilderness are being led by Joshua into the Holy Land. And as they enter into the Holy Land, they begin to conquer the Canaanite peoples and take over more and more of the land. We have here kind of a map that shows here's the Holy Land and the various tribes and the locations that were set out before they enter the land and where they would end, end up. And yet... When you get to Judges, what we learn is even though they had conquered many of the people, they had not wiped all of them out. And, and Judges then walks us through a period of a few hundred years leading up to the time of the first king for Israel, a man named Saul, where unfortunately the, the Israelites increasingly turn away from God, the Lord God, the, the God who led them in there, and turn more and more to the Canaanite gods, the, the local uh, beliefs of the people that, that they did not wipe out. And we see a pattern that develops where the Israelites fall away from, from following God. And, and 
so God allows them to become oppressed, fall into oppression by various enemies, various tribal groups or Canaanites or uh, Amorites or something like that un- until the Israelites finally call out to God for help. And when they call out to God, he raises up a leader called a judge. Now, this judge is not someone who wears a robe and, and makes decrees about the legality of things. In, in this book, in the Old Testament, a judge was a, a, a charismatic military leader, someone who, who people uh, came around and followed to, to battle their enemies. So this leader would be raised up, who would lead the Israelites in victory over their enemy, and then there would be peace. For a time, and people would continue, would be worshiping the Lord God again. But over time, again, they would start turning away from the Lord God and turning back to the Canaanite gods, and the cycle would repeat. And yet, the problem was, each time, each cycle, Israel's sin and depravity got a little worse. And it, 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 instead of a cycle, it was, it's really kind of a spiral. And they're really kind of going downhill, if you will, more and more, um, so that we see them spiraling from from being very faithful to by the end of the book of Judges, it, it's actually pretty pathetic and how bad it is. So beginning in chapter 13, the very first verse, we read, the people of Israel again... And this happens over and over in the book of Judges. Again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, The last judge in the book of Judges is the man we're looking at, Samson. And the story starts out with, with a lot of hope and promise as the Israelites are suffering under the Philistines. who The Philistines were really kind of a tribal federation of five cities on the coastal plain. Here they are down here in what is today modern-day Gaza, the Gaza Strip. These Philistines were not native to this area. They actually came from up here, probably in the Aegean Sea area, sometimes called the Sea Peoples. And they were fairly technologically advanced. This area is, is fairly flat. It was an ideal location for uh, chariots and, and things that rode like that, whereas the, the Israelites tended, many of them, to be up in the mountains and the higher areas where you couldn't use that. And so when they would come into conflict, a lot of times their technological advantages worked against Israel in, in, in battles. Um, the, the cycle, though, begins to break down because in, in this last example... The Israelites seem to be becoming accustomed to the Philistines ruling over them. And so for the very first time in the book of Judges, after all the other judges, at this point, they don't cry out to God for a help. They don't cry out to God for a deliverer. They, they, they seem to be content being subject to the Philistines. However, God is not content. And God still acts In verse 2, then it says there was a certain man of Zorah or of the tribe of the Danites, that he means the the tribe of the people of Dan, whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And, And we look again at the map and the tribes of Dan right here and the tribe of Judah were the ones who particularly struggled with the Philistines because the lands given to them kind of butted up against or included where the Philistines were. 
So the writer shows us that God begins to work, in this case, in, in the tribe of Dan, through a couple unable to have children up to this point. In verse 3 it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you're barren, have, you have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, it's wonderful that God is giving this family the gift of a son. But the gift of the son was not simply for their benefit. The, the angel makes it very clear that the child is being given to them so he can begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And he has, this child has a very special God-given purpose. And to mark that purpose, the angel tells her that this child shall be a Nazarite to God from his very birth. Now, Nazarites, we read about Nazarites in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. If you turn further back, if you want to read about that later, you can. Typically, it was a person who made the decision to dedicate their life to God for a period of time, for some specific reason, for some sp specific kind of service. Uh, this intentional consecration to holiness included three things that the person agreed not to do. They would avoid all ritual defilements, anything, uh, and, and in particular, as it mentions in the book of Judges, they would avoid touching anything dead, any, any dead animal, any dead creature. They would also avoid drinking um, any alcoholic drinks or, in fact, any form of grape. They would not eat or drink any form of grape because it stood for temptation. And finally, they would not cut their hair. So typically, an adult would make this decision, would go through the specified time of consecration. When it was over, the, the, the adult, it could be a man, it could be a woman, it, it doesn't specify would then make an offering to God. They would then cut the hair that they had allowed to grow and, and burn it as a peace offering along with some other offerings. But what happens here in Judges, a couple of unique things happen here that have not happened in, in other cases. First, the child is being dedicated by his parents to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, uh, again, l let me just clarify one thing about a Nazarite too. A Nazarite is not a Nazarene. A Nazarene is someone who comes from Nazareth, the town of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus was a Nazarene. He came from that town. A Nazarite, though some of the spelling is similar, is not dependent on where you're from. It is this uh, consecration. And it's typically a personal choice. But here in, in Judges 13, we discover the angel tells him this is not a choice. This child must be consecrated a Nazarite from birth. This only happens three times in the whole Bible. It happens to Samson. It happens in the next book of the Bible, 1 Samuel. Uh, it happens to, uh, to Samuel. And finally, in the New Testament, it happens to John the Baptist. The other unusual thing, and, and the only time this occurs in the Bible, is that the angel tells this soon-to-be mother that she too must abide by essentially the Nazarite vows until the birth of the child. This was never done elsewhere in Scripture. So we get to verse 24, and it says, The woman bore a son and called his name Samson. So this is the one we're looking at. 
And the young man grew. And the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Mahanadan, that's the, the region, the area of Dan, between Zorah and Estol. So in chapter 13, we're, we're getting prepared. Remember, we, we've got four chapters here. In chapter 13, though, it's been preparing the, us, the readers, that here is a man set apart by God from birth. In fact, this, this child comes only because of God, because the family cannot have children otherwise. This child is set apart from birth to be a judge and to begin the liberation of Israel from the Philistines. So it gives us real hope that even though things have been getting worse and worse in the book of Judges, now for the very first time, this very special consecration would lead us to believe that here is a special man of God. But as the story continues... We get just the opposite. In fact, Samson disappoints over and over. He seems driven by his own desires, by what he wants, rather than God's purposes. And we see this in each successive story in chapters 14, 15, and 16. In chapter 14, it begins, Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw, and Timnah is in, Palestine, uh, is in Philistine territory... He went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Isn't there a, a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people, in other words, the Israelites, that you, you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His, mother, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So, kind of quickly, here's a, a map that kind of over here is the Mediterranean. Up here would be, later we would know Jerusalem. And this is up elevation, these are the plains, and so you find these valleys were the, the, me, the means for traveling from the plains up into Israelite territory. And here's the Israelites in this area, here's Zor and Estol, this is the area which uh, Samson is from, and down here are the Philistines, Ekron is one of the five cities, the five big cities. So kind of a, just a little bit of a, a handle where we are, and so the passage opens, Samson again we're told is kind of driven by his passions. And yet verse 4 tells us something really important. It tells us that, that there appears to be some hope here that Samson, whether he knows it or not, is acting according to God's plan. That, that this is something God has had in the works. But there are hints that things aren't the way they ought to be. In fact, twice the writer of Judges indicates that that the, the loyalties of the Israelites are not right. And, and, and he says it in chapter 17, and he says it in the very last verse, the very last verse of, of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, each person determined what was right or wrong. Even though God had given them commandments and God had laid out rules and, and, and 
ways to live their lives that would be God-honoring and holy and would be helpful to other people. The people were going against the teachings and commands of God and determining what they thought was right, whatever was right in their own eyes. And as a result, as Judges, the book of Judges clearly shows, we see a people who become increasingly immoral from early in the book to the, to the very end of the book. We see a people who are suffering more and more at the hands of their adversaries. We see a people who fail to increasingly experience the blessings of God because they're not faithful, they're not obedient. They're doing what is right in their own eyes versus doing right what God says is right. And and quite honestly, this is one of the warnings of the book of Judges to you and me today. When we fail to follow the teachings of God, when we fail to go against His commandments, when we think, I know what's best. I know, you know, I know, God, you tell us that we should do this or we shouldn't do that, but you don't understand my situation or you don't understand the people I'm around or you don't understand the world we live in today. Then in those settings, what you and I are doing is we're doing what's right in our own eyes versus what was God said was right. And therefore, we may very well find ourselves in the same downward spiral that the Israelites in the time of the judges found. And Samson was a reflection of this. As as he sought after this Philistine woman because he told his parents in verse 3, he said, she is right in my eyes. She is right in my eyes. And As you read the book of Judges, you recognize here is an echo of the very indictment against the Israelites, that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And here we have those very words coming out of the mouth of Samson himself. Earlier, Judges had intentionally sought to do the will of God. Though as you go through the book, they seem to have less and less conviction. And now Samson, the the last judge in the book of Judges, doesn't in fact seem to be concerned about God's will at all. All he seems to be concerned about is doing what is right in his own eyes. And yet, in spite of Samson's determination to do what's right in his own eyes, we see God still working through his choices, at least least to some degree. Here's the thing. Samson also shows us he, he has a really, really bad taste in women. I mean, let's just be honest. We're going to see this over and over again, but he's driven by lust rather than, uh, than anything noble. He, he seems to almost completely dismiss his Nazarite consecration because he, we will see him routinely touch dead bodies in the, in the reading of these chapters. He will drink wine at festivals. He will do other things that clearly go against the Nazarite uh, consecration. In fact, it would seem as you start reading through this that he's oblivious to God in his life and in many cases gives no credit to God at all. Yet God uses his poor character, quite honestly, to still strike against the Philistines, using in one, one circumstance to use him to, to kill 30 Men in one episode. In another, where he wants to get back at the Philistines for what they have done to him, he catches 300 foxes and he ties them 
tail to tail, pairs of them. He ties them tail to tail. And in their tail, he also ties a, uh, a, a, a torch and lights the torch and releases them across the Philistine land. So that here's kind of a simple picture of it where they're running through the grain fields and they run through the olive orchards and they destroy large amounts of the food of the Philistines. And yet he does this because he's mad at what they did to him. Another time, the Philistines raid the territory of the tribe of Judah in looking for Samson. And, and the men of Judah are afraid of the Philistines. The, these, this is how sad it's gotten. The, the, the men of Judah had been one of the great tribes only a few generations before who had led the charge into the promised land, who had conquered many foes. Now they're afraid of these Philistines to the point where they want to turn Samson over to them rather than go to war against them to, 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 to get Samson. And so they don't stand up for one of their fellow Israelites. And Samson finally agrees to allow the Judah members of the tribe of Judah of Israel to turn him over to the Philistines, provided they don't kill him first, that they only bind him and turn him over. And here's what happens in chapter 15, verse 14. When Samson came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. They were excited. They had their prisoner. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand and took it, and with it struck a thousand men. And, and again, in these pictures... And just to show kind of the jawbone of the donkey using it as a club here and, and beating these guys up. I mean, this guy was really something because he takes down a thousand of them in this, showing his great strength. Another time we, we, would, we read in, in Judges that he used his strength to stop a charging lion. Another time he picked up a city gate. You've got these cities made up with these big walled cities and they, there's a big gate and, and the, typically it would be, the gate would be made of iron or heavy wood with large doors. He picks up the whole frame and carries it 40 miles. So here is a guy that clearly when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, he gets strong. Now Samson doesn't give credit to God. We don't read him here crediting God for his strength, but Scripture is clear that it is the work of God because it tells us it was the Spirit of the Lord that rushed upon him as he performed these great strengths, defeating the Philistines. And again, he has broken a Nazarite vow because he has lifted up the jaw of a dead animal and used it in his, as a weapon. And in the process... We read that he gets, he gets worn down as he kills these thousand men. Verse 18, it says, He was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. This is the, the first time Samson calls upon God. And he does, he does here give God some credit. But he is calling upon God not because of what he accomplished, but because now he's simply thirsty. So thirsty that he thinks he's going to die. 
He's not calling upon him to help him achieve some great work for God. In fact, he doesn't seem to understand something that you and I already know. That we were told in chapter 13 that his consecration as a Nazarite is for the very purpose of delivering Israel from these Philistines. And in each case, when he battles the Philistines, you go through the chapters, and it's always for his reasons, for his purposes. They're personal, not God's. And they're typically brought on by his own selfish actions. His own problems cause the conflict with the Philistines. And unlike previous judges, he never recruits other Israelites to join him in his battles against the Philistines. And and yet, in spite of him, in spite of his selfishness, we see God still using Samson. Well, his final undoing comes as we get to chapter 16 where it tells us, verse 4, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Deliah. First time, Scripture tells us, he has actually fallen in love. Again, the valley of Sorek, as we look at it here, is this valley coming from the coastal plain up into the hills, foothills, up into the mountains where Israel was. Very important valley as a place to... Uh, that the Israelites would want to defend to keep the Philistines from moving up. This would be the natural place. And um, here is somewhere in this valley is the home of this woman. Her name is Delilah. And Scripture doesn't tell us whether she is an Israelite or a Philistine. We, we really don't know. Uh, but it's clear that she's not really into Samson. She is in this for the money. Listen, verse 5, The lords of the Philistines, that is the lord of each of the five towns, came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, five Philistine lords, each lord giving, willing to give her 1,100 pieces of silver. I did some research. Today, that 1,100 pieces of silver would be worth between five and six million dollars. Multiplied times five. They're offering her between 25 and 30 million dollars to give them the secret of Samson. We can tell, here's what she's about. This is what matters to her. She wants to know the the source of his strength. But here's the thing about Samson. This guy is, he's either so naive or he's an idiot. I mean, I mean, listen, he fails to see her motives. He fails to be concerned about Israel. In, in, in verse 7 it says, Samson said to her, she, she wants to know, and he says to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength wasn't known. So here's a guy. This girl has been asking him the secret of his strength. 
Now, we read that he, he teases a lot, he, and he doesn't tell her the truth. She doesn't know this. But he wakes up, and he's tied up with the only stuff he has told anyone could do anything. You, you have to start wondering, okay, is there a leak here? Do we have a mole at work? You know, who could be the one here? And, and instead of accusing Delilah of taking advantage of him, Delilah pouts that Samson hasn't told her the truth and pushes him again to tell her the source of his strength. In fact, this will happen two more times. And he, each time he teases her with false answers. And, and, and finally in verse 15, she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart's not with me? You've mocked me with these these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his and he told her all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my hair, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now first, what idiot would tell someone who has three times proven that she's trying to mess him up? And and then, we, I mean, we have the classic nagging going on. You know, and, and, and it says he was, his soul was vexed to death. It went on for days. Never mind that every time it's happened, every time he's told his, a, a secret, he's wound up bound in that stuff. Now, don't, don't, don't pay any attention to that, Samson. No, she's, she loves you. Oh my gosh. I mean, this guy, I mean, he really is an idiot. I mean, I'm sorry. And, and, and yet for the first time in the text, Samson acknowledges that he's aware that he is a Nazarite, that he has been since birth. He understands. He, we, we weren't even sure up to this point. But now he's telling us, yes, this is true. And he tells her his secret. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as the, at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. I mean, is there a more tragic story of a, of a man who cannot see the truth, who is so focused on himself? D.I. Block writes, The ironies in his life have come to full fruition. Overnight, this man is transformed from one whose life is governed by sight and whose actions are determined by what is right in his own eyes into a blind man with eyes gouged out. 
overnight, a life of coming and going as he pleases, turns into a life of bondage and imprisonment. Overnight, the person who had spent his life insulting and humiliating others becomes the object of their humiliation. Overnight, a man with the highest conceivable calling, the divinely commissioned agent of deliverance for Israel, is cast down to the lowest position imaginable, grinding flour for others in prison. I mean, it seems we have come to the end of the story and it is so tragic. It seems like Samson has failed and failed and failed. But here's the thing about this story. The story is not ultimately about Samson. It's about God. We miss that. We focus on Samson. But it is God who in spite of the failures of faith and obedience who is not finished. In fact, even with Samson. It gives us a clue in verse 22. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The Philistines think, believe that, 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 that their God has won the battle. Their God, Dagon, has overcome the Lord God of the Israelites. And, and that's how people thought in that day. If, if our army wins, it means our God is stronger than your God. And so they're celebrating that th- this victory, they believe the victory over Samson demonstrated that their God, Dagon, was superior to the Lord God of the Israelites. They believe that their God is, is the best, and so they worship him. And, and, and we see they were mistaken. Not a good thing to do. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. See, they're crediting their God. And when the people saw him, Samson, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given us, given our enemy into our hand, the ravage of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they bring him out. They called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And what we see here is whether we believe in God or not, if God is real, it's not a good idea to taunt this God. And taunting him and then bringing out Samson proved to be big mistakes that play in to God's overall plan in spite of Samson. Verse 27, now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. In other words, all the leaders. And, and the, on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women. So you, you have the party going on down below, and then you have the common people and the warriors and others up and above watching and watching this great event going on, looking down on Samson. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. It is a who's who of the Philistines. 
having a party at Samson's expense. And for only the second time that we read in Scripture, Samson calls upon the Lord, asking him to, to allow his strength to return. But not, not for the purpose that God said he had been created for in the very beginning, back in chapter 13, as a Nazarite to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That is not what Samson is asking for. Instead, he says, so he can have revenge, he can have vengeance against the Philistines for gouging out his eyes. Never mind what he's done to the Israelites. Never mind what is the, the captivity. It's all still about Samson. And the writer shows us no response from God. But we see that God can use imperfect motives. We see that God can use people who, in fact, don't even want to serve Him. We see in other places in the Old Testament where God used the Assyrians and He used the Babylonians and He used the Persians for His purposes. Even though they didn't believe in Him, they had no intention of following Him. That, that God's will will be done. He will accomplish His purposes regardless of us. And the results speak for themselves. Verse 29, And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson's request for God to let him die is the only time that this request is granted in the Old Testament. It's asked a handful of other times, but this is the only time it is granted. And, and the writer points to the irony of this whole thing, that in his death, in Samson's death, more Philistines were killed than were killed in the whole time, the 20-plus the, the years, he was free to live out his Nazarite, Nazarite consecration as a judge for Israel. The truth is, the, the story of Samson shows us a very imperfect hero. A very imperfect man. His motives, from start to finish, are selfish. He is always looking out for number one. He never sought to fulfill the calling God had placed on his life from birth, even though we discover he knew about it. He seems to not care. And, and, and the whole story reflects this movement across the book of Judges of the sad state of faith in Israel, of, of how far they have come that they don't even try to get out from under the Philistines, that they would turn over one of their own to the Philistines. This sad state, and yet in spite of the sad state, in spite of the lack of faith, in spite of an unfaithful judge, God still showed Himself to be faithful. God, guys, this is really important. A lot of times we get caught up in our lives and our circumstances and how is it going to ever get better? What can I do to work it out? How can... God's will even occur in this situation. Like somehow it's always up to me. The story of Samson 
shows us that Samson, Samson is not the victor here in spite of himself, in spite of being used by God. Because Samson did what was right in his own eyes. Samson did what a lot of people today do. What is right in our own eyes. But in spite of that, God used Samson to do the will of God. In spite of Samson, we see a love of God for His people that never gives up. That even when people He calls, even when people who are gifted and talented for the calling He has given them fail, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not up ultimately to you and me. Yes, we have the opportunity to join in what God is doing. God has called all of His servants, all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, to join Him in the redemption of the world, in the transformation of society. But the story of Samson, the book of the Bible tells us that God's will is going to be done one way or the other. The question is, do you and I join Him? Do you and I say, yes, God, you have called me. Yes, I don't know how I can do anything. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have anything to offer, but you have, you have called me out to serve. You have called me out to make a difference. You have called me to be a witness. And so I will trust that you work in midst of all my failures. Because if you can work through someone who didn't even try then certainly you can work in and through me. God can use, in fact, God always uses imperfect people. Always. To bring about His purposes. Because God is sovereign. God is the hero of this story. God's will is what matters. And so ultimately, the Christian journey isn't about us. It isn't about my shortcomings. It isn't about my struggles. It isn't about my failures, even though I may feel like it. It's about my intention to be faithful. It is, my, it is me turning to the God of all creation, whose spirit has come to live in me as a follower of Jesus Christ, and seeking to obey the best I can, and trusting that even when I mess it up, and I do, and so do you, God's will will be done. I mean, that's a powerful story for us today. When sometimes we get caught up in life and we get caught up in circumstances and we don't see how it's going to work out. You don't have to. I don't have to. We just need to follow Him and trust Him. If that's a struggle for you, and if you're human, it probably is, if that's a struggle right now, our prayer team is going to be down here and they would love to talk with you about that. If, if you have been someone who's felt like, I don't know how to serve, I don't know where to, what to do, why, how could God use me? Josh standing over there in that pink shirt or whatever that is, Josh would love 
to take you on a volunteer. Because you do have something you can do. There is a way God can use you to make a difference. And He's going to make the difference. The, the, the only question is, will you join in what He's doing? If you're a guest today, myself and some friends are going to be out here. We'd love to say hello to you and welcome you in here. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But, but I, after, after the prayer, after the dismissal, we're going to show... You don't have to stay forward if you don't want to. But just for fun, there's a Christian comedian named Tim Hawkins. Some of you remember he was here a, a few years ago and did a comedy show. He, he, he's hilarious. He's on YouTube, and you can find him on YouTube if you, if you want to learn more. And he did a parody, a song parody called Hey There, Delilah. And so we're going to show it at, right after the prayer. And if you want to stay and watch it, it's about three and a half minutes long. That's great. If you don't, don't feel, don't feel obligated. But I think you'll enjoy it. It's just kind of a light take on Samson and Delilah. So join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are such an amazing God that in spite of us, in spite of a, a man you called from birth that you gave as a gift to his parents, that you set him apart as a Nazarite, you gave him extraordinary strength in spite of all of his failures and selfishness. You still used him for your great glory. Father, help us not to be like Samson. Help us to take whatever we have and surrender it to you and be used by you. That, that you may be seen, your glory may be witnessed to all. As people see you doing incredible things through us and they look at us and they think, how in the world could he or she ever do that? That you would get the glory. We ask that we pray that because you are our hope. You are our God. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.